Hi, I'm Rob, and this is Dad Sofa, a podcast about the things that connect us. Whether it is a rained-off attempt at a trip to the pub, or string theory, a cycle to Cornwall, or a chat in the sea, we talk about the stuff of life, what makes us curious, the stuff that connects everything, the spaghetti of life. Come and join us. Get comfy. This is Dad Sofa. As a kid, I couldn't fathom how Isaac Newton had worked out about gravity. Although the apple falling from a tree is sighted, it's unlikely that this was actually what led to his eureka moment. It seemed incredible to me that someone would have sat in a field near Peterborough and make the connection that large objects would attract small ones. Why? I became really fascinated by Kepler's laws, and the more I picked up, the more blown away my mind became. But it wasn't until I started sailing dinghies with my kids that I really started to appreciate how from basic principles one could at least realise that something was really going on without having to get a telescope out or do some mathematic equations. When I go down to the coast, we usually arrive in the dead of night, and it's particularly spectacular when the moon is full and fleets onto the sea, shimmering away. If it's a warm night, I'll sit out on the deck in the darkness with a drink and soak up the view. As I do this, my eyes become accustomed to the dark, and sometimes on a really clear night, you can see the large band of slight mistiness overhead, the sign that we're actually just a tiny dot in a spiral galaxy, one galaxy among trillions. When the moon is full or absent, the sun and moon are in parallel with the earth, so on a moonlit night, I always look forward to the following day to see the spring tides, spring being nothing to do with the season, but the extra bounce and thus height of the tides. They are very high and very low, simply because of the sun and moon's gravitational influence on the mass of water flowing around on our planet. If it wasn't for gravity, the sea would be still like a mill pond far more often, and there wouldn't be any tides. The funny thing about gravity is that it's the only one of the four fundamental forces that is very weak. As a result, you need a large object before you can really sense it. The Earth is pretty big, hence we're sucked down onto it. The gravitational force also influences the shape of planets and other rocks floating around. There is a critical mass beyond which gravity influences such a force on the rock that it pulls the planet in on itself but towards the centre. So this is the reason that the larger the planet, the more perfectly circular or orb-like it becomes. The fact that all matter is made up of fundamental particles, which are like tiny flashes of electricity, is my way of seeing how gravity works. I can understand the magnetic force, and it seems to me that this is all gravity is. A big object has a lot more tiny flashes of electrical force and thus will pull other smaller objects towards it. My kids were involved in an experiment at school where a balloon was set off with a camera on board. The camera was just recording what it could see below. They had a GPS monitor attached to it and had to drive the countryside to try and find where the balloon was going. As it got so high and the atmosphere so thin, the balloon expanded to eventual destruction and gravity did the rest. The camera plummeted to the ground. They found it and showed the film that was created. It was fabulous to see the ground with field gradually becoming smaller and smaller and suddenly you could see the curvature of the earth as the surrounding light got less and less. Eventually you could see the whole of the earth below and then the whole thing happened in reverse as the camera flailed back down to the ground. When looking out into the abyss of space you occasionally see twin or binary stars, two suns locked together by gravity and as a result rotating around each other. I wonder if there were seas on any of the planets going around those suns what the hell gravity would do to the tides. I imagine sulfuric acid or liquid methane seas constantly behaving like hurricane storms, worse than anything ever experienced on Earth. 
But for the most part, climate change aside, many of the tidal issues we experience in Cornwall are relatively minor. When the neat tides are happening in St Moors, the tides never really drop that low or go that high, which means the ferry boat can always come into the harbour, but the kids can never jump off the harbour wall into the sea unless they are prepared to break both legs in the process. When the spring tides come, at low tide, boats can only get to the ferry end of the quay, but at the high tide, streams of kids dive, jump and somersault into the waves. The local kayak and canoe hiring companies have a painful duty every summer. People from upcountry drive down and go paddling off in their hired craft, and with the sun and the occasional splash of cold, salty fluid on their faces, find a creek to leave their canoe. They carefully tie up to ensure that the vehicle will not cut adrift, and they pull the boat up so that at least it's partially grounded. They then disappear up the path to a local farmhouse, serving cream teas. They spend an hour and a half eating scones, arguing about whether the pronunciation is scone or scone, or whether the cream goes on first, or the jam goes on first. Someone mentions that they are from Cornwall, and the jam has to go on first, with fresh scones, because if you put the cream on first, the fat melts and gravity takes the cream down into the scone. Then Tarquin from Devon asks the somewhat awkward question, so do you put jam on your hot toast first and then spread butter on the top? And then saying, and anyway, it's scone. The discussion continues as the farmhand shakes their head, taking the plates away, and the party make their way down the path. The spring tide has now gone out. The group go silent, and they see that the sea is now 50 metres away, and the ocean-going vessel is now half sunk into the mud. After half an hour of trying to rescue the thing, while knee-deep in mud, they realise that they'll have to ring the hire company to be rescued. They are advised either to walk the ten miles around the creek, get a taxi, or wait the six hours for the tide to return, so that they can come back. By which time, the evening will have set in, and the hire company will have closed down for the evening. So the company go back the next day to pick the craft up, and the party, who got themselves stranded, sit in an evening pub, with tired eyes and mud up to their knees, while a local Cornish lass, semi-laughing, talks to them about the difference between a spring tide, a neap tide, and the quality of a low-level force called gravity that caused them their great inconvenience that day. 